listened to the red debate and the summer transfer window has slammed shut to talk through Liverpool's proceedings or perhaps better said lack of. I've got Chris Smith with me. Chris, how are you doing? I'm good. I am not happy though and we'll get into why shortly but we sit here the day after the transfer window um, has shut and I just have the overriding feeling of we've been left behind. What about yourself? So mixed emotions from me. I mean, I don't think there'll be that many fans who are overridingly pleased with the uh, with the outcome of the transfer window, shall we say. There are, I mean, there's loads of bones to pick out of it. I, my overwhelming feeling is disappointment. Um, does that come purely on the basis of the lack of business that we've done? Not necessarily sure. Um does it come from comparative lack of business that we've done? Yes, much more so. Um, it's it's impossible to ignore the fact that the teams around us have strengthened uh, far more so than we've done. Do I do I think overall we're stronger than we were? Certainly at the back end of last season, significantly so. Um, but you know there are, there are gaping holes in our squad when it comes to keeping the the, the core fit and on the pitch uh, that's that, that's a that's a real issue um i, th- I think you're obviously totally right today it's the it's the lack of competing with the rivals that's the main issue um i i think that any football fan with a brain would realize that we can't compete with city chelsea and united for transfers because we aren't oil rich but and I, I don't think that's what most fans are asking for but in in real terms, we're we're actually being outspent by pretty much everyone. Not not only the big boys that I've just mentioned, but you know the the newly promoted teams, um, West Ham, Wolves. They're comfortably outspending us, and that for me is the biggest issue. You know, I'm not expecting us to go out and spend the same money as City have and have 50 million pound players sat on the bench in in every position. But I am expecting us, given the season that we've just had, and given the fact that we've had really good success over the last five years to at least outspend our other rivals, you know, the likes of Everton and stuff like that. um, We should be spending way more than we are at the moment. And we certainly shouldn't be going into, well, finishing the transfer window with a profitable net spend when there's so many weaknesses in the squad. Yeah, completely agree, mate. I mean, we touched on it before, but I think the Red Sox fans would have would have uh, you know warned us to be braced for this. Uh, they, they said the same thing has happened to them. I mean, I don't have the statistics at hand for it, but so so I gather the Red Sox have used a similar model in that they've gone big on big contracts, recruited a decent squad, and then seem to dry up. They seem to have done the same thing with us. I mean, th- there's loads of bones to out of this like I say um, obviously the, the mood around FSG is not great at the moment um, sh- sh- I'm going to start um, this discussion though by just, just talking about the league so far because obviously it, it came to mind uh, given how the Chelsea game played out We obviously we go into the first international break three games played seven points accrued um, which you know on the face of it before the Chelsea game I've obviously would have loved to have won but had you said you can take a draw. I think I probably would have reluctantly taken it. We just didn't want to lose. That would have really changed the mood. These ridiculous international breaks so early on in the season um, cause a stop-start beginning to the season. Um, and, you know, ultimately just going into it, I really didn't want us to lose, especially given the timing of the Chelsea game before the transfer window. But in the way that it played out, obviously we played Chelsea early on last season as well. Um, they had Christensen send off for the rugby tackle on Mane when he was clean through. 
Um, and when Reese James gets sent off, I just, you know, it felt at that point like we needed to go on and win the game. And I was really disappointed that we didn't go on to win the game. Um, when it came back to one all, we had a hatful of chances. And I know you and Ollie talked about it, or at least gave your views on it um, separate to one another uh, earlier on or just after the game. But it, it has echoes of the 18-19 season with the City game when we, you know, when we draw one all um, and there's the, the 11 millimetre is the ball over the line decision. Um, a lot of people were saying after the game, you know, point against the rivals, it could be all right. Come the end of the season, you look at the context and we were literally 11 millimetres away from winning the league with 100 points. And you, and you, you just worry. You just worry about the, you know, the, the comparative strength of our rivals. Yes, uh, you can say that um, obviously Chelsea have strengthened, so perhaps a point now against them at this point in a similar circumstance isn't quite as bad. Obviously, Tuchel's there instead of Lampard and they've strengthened. But that said, you know, we had a relatively strong side out. Um, the fans were back, home advantage, this sort of stuff. It, I, I must admit, I do have concerns about what's going on for both us and for the teams around us. I think for me, there's three things that I've taken away from the Chelsea game. Um, not not in, in its entirety, three negative things. Um, one is that Klopp doesn't trust our attacking squad players. So Origi, Minamino so- and so on. That's a huge point. That's, that's Yeah, we'll come to that. Sorry, yeah. carry on, yeah. Um, two, in my view, Mane desperately needs competition. I think um, that kind of comes off the, the first point, I guess. But there isn't anyone in the squad on that left-sided role who can properly challenge him and push him because he is declining. Like Whether you love him or not, and I think we're both in the camp of we absolutely love him, um, there, there's just no question now that he's not quite as good and we're talking not like huge drop-offs, but even 5%, um, he's just not as good as he was two years ago. And I do feel yeah. like part of that is the fact that we haven't reinvested in those positions. Obviously, we've brought Yotta in, um, but he can't play everywhere at the end of the day. We've got four four attackers to fill three positions. And thirdly, I think we're, we're so reliant on Salah once more, and I can't believe we've gone into a, a season again where we're looking at if Salah misses games, I feel like we're in real trouble. And the African Cup of Nations is a good example of what's going to happen. Um, so they're yeah. my three sort of like thoughts from the attackers that I think were really highlighted from that Chelsea game. Uh, nail on the head with all three, I think, mate. To be, to be honest, it, it's startling that Shimakas was brought on when we were chasing a victory um, against 10 men. And he had attack, supposed attacking options on the bench and he didn't turn to any of them. It, it, as you say, it talks about the level of trust or lack of that he's got in them. Um, what Klopp says to the media versus what he tells us through his direct actions are always different. They always have been. He, you know, he always talks about, you know, Origi working hard in training, Minamino being a quality player. Well, you don't, you don't loan a quality player that out midway through a season when you've got a squad depleted by injuries. You, you just don't. And Origi scored less goals last season than Alvin Becker and he doesn't turn to a supposed striker option when he needs a goal like it, it's just it's a shambles in that in that regard and it, touching on Mane I, I agree I think Yotta probably was earmarked for that left side when he when we first brought him in but he's you know his skill set's such that he's more likely to be taking Firmino's place on a regular basis and yeah Mo Salah takes us to a nice um, 
nice point at which to talk about the next topic of, the, of this discussion and the contracts. So we are so reliant on Mo Salah. He, he continues to go under the radar in terms of being discussed as one of the absolute best players on the planet at the moment. He, he Without him, I think we would have been numbering in mid-table, to be honest, last season. Um, and I really do worry, like, like, like you say, about the impact that him being out of this team could have on us. He, he's just so dangerous um, and, you know, everything we seem to do well seems to come through him, either through his goals or his build-up play or, you know, the way he moves defenders around and how two almost two men every time we play against an opponent have to occupy him. Um, but again, it, it seemed so apparent from early on in this transfer window that the objective was going to be to recruit or to nail down the contracts for our big boys. Um, one of my main disappointments yesterday, I mean, going into the day, I would have been stunned had we made a, a, a signing. Um, I was really just hoping for the contracts to get sorted, namely Salah being the most important one. Obviously, there's the contract for um, uh, Jordan Henderson, which is very pleasing. Um, and then quite slightly more bafflingly, the the Nat Phillips contract when it looked like he was going to leave. I was going to say that. Did the Nat Phillips contract not... Uh not suffice <laughs> yeah exactly uh, was, right. <laughs> and Reese Williams got one as well didn't he at the, at the end of the window yeah he did before his loan move to Swansea I mean yeah. looking at it the, the Williams and Phillips things sort of make sense I mean we had been saying before haven't we that Nat Phillips's value was probably at its peak um, after last season he's now probably going to face either six months or a full season well not six months you know it's not that long till January window now but he's going to face a period of not playing football his value is likely to decline um, putting him on a new contract for a lad that's happy to probably be fifth choice it potentially increases his sell-on value because of the idea that he's on a higher contract. It's, it sort of makes sense. It's a bit of a money ball move in a, in a way, um, as, as is locking uh, Reese Williams down. But, the, but the, I'm frustrated that Salah didn't get done yesterday. I really am. And it, do, it can't help but make you worry that is something lined up. You know, obviously PSG have forever held an interest in him. Um, it does make you worry that they've got an eye on losing Salah maybe or that's even a possibility I mean how do you feel about Salah's contract not being done yet do you think do you think it's an, an issue yeah I do um I think the FSG will also be disappointed because I'm sure that they were hoping that that one would be the one that would kind of skirt the topic of no transfers coming in and they've done that they've done this historically haven't they FSG where they've announced yeah. a contract signing instead of a transfer to try and keep the fans yeah. happy or to, to mask over something bad that's happened. So they PR took, move, eh? Oh, yeah. textbook, yeah. Um, and I'm sure they were trying to do everything to get Salah to commit Yeah. within that yeah. window. Um, it does worry me massively because you're looking at, um, obviously, it's been an incredibly baffling and just crazy transfer window. But if you think about the next win summer's window, Mbappe is going to be going. Haaland's likely yep, yep. to be going. So it's going to be the same again. And let's face it, Salah is unbelievably good. I'd be surprised if there wasn't any club in the world that hasn't got him on the radar. Um, oh, so he starts for every team in the world. End of. Yeah. And if Mbappe goes, yeah. what better replacement than someone like Salah? So well, it I does mean, worry I mean, me I, I, th I think player for player, 
at this point, controversial opinion amongst some fans, but less so amongst Liverpool fans. I think player for player at the moment, we're better off with, you know, if you're looking at it purely on output at the current moment, I'd rather have Salah in the team than Mbappe at the current moment. I think we'd be worse off if we directly swapped them now for this season, at least. Obviously, Mbappe's seeing is ludicrous. He could, he, you know, he's got the tools to be one of the best players of all time and he's very young, but player for player at the moment, I think Salah's better. But I you, agree. Know, you know me. I have to agree. Yeah. You know me. I'm ever an optimistic Liverpool fan um, to the point where I can't believe I haven't yet been all the top red on Twitter but, but um, <laughs> uh, you'll be getting really rid did... for this by all the Mbappe fans saying like what the fuck are you on about but literally I actually <laughs> do agree with you on this one that Salah is irreplaceable for us I'm not necessarily saying he's that he's a better player than Mbappe but for us yeah, same. he is more important I think yeah I, I, I agree yeah but I, I mean going back to me being the optimist I, it felt at the start of this window when we were doing the early contracts well, as though you know, well yeah that, came, that was the <laughs> yeah. first one of the summer wasn't it get San Miguel locked in yeah, yeah. No, the, um, it, it felt as though we might be working along the lines of announcing all the contracts get Mo Salah done and then make a recruitment because there, you know there was talk of players we were being linked with on staggering wages to the point where anyone would understand that Salah might be a bit peeved if he gets a new contract and then someone like Salah I guess who can't get into the Atletico team in his preferred position comes in and gets similar money you could understand why Salah might be peeved for example it, it seemed you know the optimists amongst us seemed to believe at the start of the window like we were going to get all the contracts done Mo Salah last so that none of the players have any complaints that Mo earns more than them which to be fair he probably deserves um, and then and then announce a signing. As the window progressed, it looked less and less likely that the last point was going to be announced a signing. It looked like the last one might be Mo. Instead, we're left with it being Jordan Henderson, which makes sense in some regard. But then, you know, you think back to the Ginny Wijnaldum thing and him, him saying that he wanted to stay. Um, but the club would, you know, there was thought that the club didn't want to give him a contract because he's 30 and didn't want to pay him till he's 35. And then we go and give that length of contract to Jordan Henderson, who's 31 and who, you know, averages much less game game time on the pitch than Wijnaldum did for us. So there are, it is odd, I've got to say. I mean, yeah, are you, are you, are you satisfied with the work we've done in terms of locking down those big players? Because one way to look at it is it is nice to, to not be concerned that your players are going to be poached imminently. Yeah, it ties down, obviously, a strong core of the team. But we spoke about this off air and... I feel like we're in those tra- transition years of the likes that Inter Milan went through when they had, you know, the Schneider team and stuff, where eventually tying down your core isn't good enough. There needs to be a reinvestment and there needs to be, even, even if the players aren't necessarily de- uh, declining, you just need to reinvest, I think, to reinvigor the team. And that's the kind of thing I think we're missing. We, we spoke about it as one of the problems last season that, we were going into the season with this, basically the same first 11 plus Thiago. We're going into this season again with the same first 11. So it's not a question necessarily of um, am, I, am I happy that we have, a, have tied down those players? It's you need to constantly add. And it's what Alex Ferguson did amazingly during his United career where he'd always improve the first 11. And that's what we haven't done, no matter if he'd won the title or not. And I think if you go back to... Um, the Champions League win. Sorry, go on. He went and got himself a striker. 
pains me the way Ferguson operated was, was for example, when they signed Van Persie, they probably did strengthening from a position of strength is is succession planning as you know as we see it played out best in football um there's there's good examples of it not really having worked like barcelona have probably missed a trick in in their recent attempts to to patch um the you know you know post messi era they 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 they're about to line up with Depay, luke de jong and martin braithwaite as their striker options which is starting <laughs> yeah. if you look at their strength over recent years same same with real madrid um but yeah i i do worry that when this current crop uh you know reach the end then what's next in store obviously we do have some bright young players um, Harvey Elliott has been very impressive at the start of the season Jota's uh, you know come in and exceeded everyone's expectations um, obviously Trent and Robertson are still young Conate and Gomez both young whether they can stay fit or not who knows but they're both they've got it in them to be top tier centre-backs Alison Becker's got a long way to go as does Fabinho hopefully there, there are key elements I just feel like from this position of strength that we have, where we can, where we are able to attract any player in the world, it's bloody frustrating that we haven't done so. I mean, you know, you can look at the even younger generation players like Cade Gordon, Musialowski, Bobby Clark. They're all supposed to be, you know, amongst the best in their age in their positions in European football, and we've recruited these players. But what level are we going to be at by the time they're first team ready? You know, let's let's say they're all superstars, or I mean, that's not likely obviously but you know that's that's the, the most we could expect let's say they're all absolute top tier footballers and they're coming through when two three years time yeah we, we need we need that mid that bridging age of player to come in like we did at the start of this generation you know that summer when we signed Kaita, Allison, Fabinho, Shakiri. recruit players that age now to bridge the next gap because as as we look at things the current crop of squad are largely too old um, to be able to f- perceive them being part of the squad in three years' time, and then the other, the, you know, the, the promise in the youth teams are too young at the moment for, let's say, two seasons' time, three seasons' time. Mm. I think the most frustrating thing as well is from a from a Liverpool's perspective, we, we've seen this before. So we almost won the league under Rafa, and we almost won the league under Rodgers. From there, we should have yeah. kicked on, and we didn't. Yeah. We we made some really bad signings that were a level below. And this time yeah. we've actually won the league and the Champions League, and we just haven't kicked on. And I was showing you the the stats, wasn't I, of uh, our net spend since winning the Champions League? And yeah, compared to Manchester United, they have spent minus three hundred twenty-two. So um, ours, comparatively, is that's million by the way. Uh, ours is thirty-five million. And that is an enormous golf. That's a 300 million swing. And that's since we won the Champions League. And they're the mistakes, I think, that we've seen before where we haven't kicked on, we haven't got those bridging players and we've done it again, in my opinion. Yes, it's staggering. I mean, is that recent? Does that conclude all of the, the January business and stuff? Yeah. Does that include Ronaldo, et cetera? I believe yeah, I well, mean, Ronaldo's e- fee way. was only 12, uh, 19 million, wasn't it? So it doesn't yeah. take wages into account. But yes, yeah, so Arsenal are second. Uh, with a net spend of minus 259. So again, that is way more. But most worryingly is we're around the, if you look at the teams around us, it's Fulham, Brighton, Liverpool, Burnley, Southampton, Manchester United under 18s. They're the five teams around us. That's the net spend that we've, you know, competing against. Even clubs like Newcastle, Leeds, West Ham, they're, you know, about 70 million net spend above us. And that's the most worrying thing. 
do you know what? FSG must be thanking their lucky stars they ever appointed Jurgen Klopp and Michael Edwards. Because without without those two, and with this level of investment or, or lack of, who knows where we'd be? I mean, it, it, at least we spent the Suarez money. And, and FSG would, would say, look, you know, we sold Coutinho for X amount and we bought in these players and we went on to win the league and the Champions League. You should be thanking us. And there are sections of the fans that, that like to remind us of that on a regular basis, particularly on Twitter. But what, what's their ambition? Like, you know, do, do they see this as an organisation through which they can make money? The, the answer is almost certainly yes, isn't it? They're not football fans. They're not Liverpool fans. They're running this like a business. And in their eyes, they're probably doing incredibly well at doing so. Like, you know, if you, if you compare a football club model to a business in another capacity, if your outgoings are low and your, your productivity is still high, then you're doing a much better job than people whose outgoings are higher and whose productivity is the same if not worse like, as United and Arsenal are at the moment like they're, they're probably delighted with their work um, it, but it does beg the question doesn't it like what is all this frugal behaviour about like is it about them stalling and thinking that they can squeeze productivity out of the current squad or is it about them holding their coin for a big move what, it's, like, what it's do you actually, interesting what one, do you actually think because, that? Yeah. yeah well I think so if we go back to the European Super League debacle, which is slightly unrelated, I guess, <laughs> but um, I think Arsenal and the United owners spent big to, in a way, to compensate that and get fans on board. And right. if we think about why what F- do you FSG, mean? as in like, I think this was an opportunity for F- FSG to do the same and an easy win to get fans on board would have been to have a really strong transfer window now. So, but if you think back about the reasons on why they wanted to do the European Super League, it was certainly money related for us, like without a shadow yeah. of a doubt. And it would have enabled us, I guess, one of, one of the only positives of doing it would have been that we would have become, you know, a super club essentially with a lot of money. So we'd have been able to give the big wages and, you know, com- maybe compete better on the likes of Mbappe's and stuff like that. So I, I think if you relate that to what's happening now and like what their end goal is, I, I agree with you in terms of they obviously want to run it like a profitable business. But at the same time in football, profitability is without a shadow of a doubt linked to success. And I bet if you look at our coffers, the most money we made was when we won the Champions League and when we won the Premier League. And I don't think it's a surprise that um, the the winnings of those tournaments and doing well in the tournaments has led to us being able to offer like our highest wages we've ever done to the likes of Van Dyke and Salah. But what they're doing now and what they're not, not doing compared to Arsenal and United, for example, is putting us into a position to, to maintain that. And I think yeah. the financial implications of coming out of the Champions League, which they're, they're yet to fill, because obviously we, we did it last season. But let's say we came seventh. I think, yeah. in hindsight, they would massively regret not investing in the team because suddenly their yeah. sponsorship's lower. You're not getting the Champions League revenue in. You know, you're not getting your your Premier League money in as much. Um, and yeah. that's the balance, I think, that they've got wrong, in my opinion. I mean, they, they, yeah, it's, 
see every phrase there is, is a good one. I'm not saying I necessarily disagree, and I don't. I'm just playing devil's advocate here, just for the purpose of balance. Because this, this inevitably gets discussed at board level, right? And it has done since the day they walked through the door. They would argue that, they would probably argue that, I'm not saying they definitely would, but they would probably argue that their model is to wait for the player. And they've shown it as recently as this summer in January, we were crying out, you know, we were getting linked to people like Mustafi coming through. We ended up spending, a, a, you know, peanuts on on Kabak on loan and Ben Davies, who we've ended up flipping anyway, on loan to Sheffield United. That They would argue we wait for our man. You know, there was talk of Jack Butland before we got Alison Becker and you, you, it's so apparent the difference in trajectory that that causes through, through waiting to get the actual player you want rather than just the gap. They probably discuss at board level, and I'll just put this to you as a question then. Do you think this squad could win the league this season? Yeah, I do. And I think everything I've said, it sounds extremely negative, but we do have an incredible first eleven that can compete. I think the difference is it's it's a gamble for me. And they, they gambled last year and we just about got away with it. But it, yeah. it is a risk. So that's more the point. It's like we're playing with fire and the fire is bigger because of all of yeah. our rivals improving massively. Yeah. Uh, it, it, I'm totally with you on that. The, the strange thing about the well, the fickle nature of being a football fan, and I'm not looking down on anyone from a position of high horse because I'm in exactly the same boat, whereby if we'd signed, let's say, Jeremy Doku on deadline day, I'd have been happy. And, and when you think about it, really, when you're rational, you think, yeah, okay, he's an international footballer. He would probably come in and get some minutes. But what bearing would that have on the difference between this current playing squad winning the league versus not he's he you know the sort of player that might have appeased the fans probably isn't good enough to be a difference maker you know obviously there's someone like Sal Niguez who who is good enough to be a difference maker based on his history but he wanted silly money like one of the realistic moves that might have appeased fans are they really would they really be difference makers I'm no obviously I'm not so no but like but you can see why they have faith and a belief that waiting for their right man has shown itself to pay off, contextualised by the idea that the current playing squad is really good. So as Klopp keeps saying, any player that would have to come in to get into the best team at least would have to be a fantastic, probably world-class footballer. It's I'm, I'm torn. I'm really torn because I'm overwhelmingly worried. Well, like, yeah, my, my, main, my main feeling along with you, you suggesting it's a gamble, is, is one of worry, um, because I don't think we're going to keep this playing squad fit. Um, and we saw the psychological impact that a few injuries started having on the rest of the team. The morale just fell off a cliff after Christmas last year. Yeah. Um, so I, I am worried about that happening. And there's lots of ifs and question marks around players in the squad in terms of fitness. And then you've got the likes of Firmino and Mane, who don't seem to be you know, operating at the same level as they did. And there's question marks about whether they're beginning a natural decline. Uh, I yeah, think that's where I'd, someone like Doku would have come in, it like become really valuable for us though, because you can't play the same players in every single game. And no. we've, we've seen it that Firmino is, I haven't really spoken about him yet, but for me, he has been declining for a long time now and had a, a very poor season last year. So to, to be good enough for a title-challenging team, he, his performance levels need to possibly double, 
which is you know a big ask for a player who's done it for a long time now without a real break yeah. without any competition which is like thank god we've got Jota but at the same time same applies to Mane if you've got someone like Doku yes he might not improve our starting 11 yes he might not start but in games like the Chelsea game in games like uh when Mane's injured or Firmino's injured or Salah's out yeah. for example we're looking the drop off between those starters and what we're going to have to play is absurd like who who actually would play if Salah was injured for two months on the right hand side yeah I, I I don't know I, I my, my shout at the moment based on current performances would be Harvey Elliott um, which is bonkers like bonkers we're talking yeah, about one of the best players in the world getting replaced by an 18 year old and I love Harvey Elliott I think he's amazing but it's bonkers to think that that is our option yeah it it, it really is it really is yeah I mean it's a, it is a concern, yeah. When Salah and Mane are out for the Afghan, albeit not for a huge amount of time, um, if Firmino's not fit by then, um, it is a real worry. Who, who, like even fielding the number of bodies we could. I mean, we sold Shakiri, who probably would have been one of the players to come in at that time, because otherwise you're threadbare. You're looking at Oxlade Chamberlain, Origi, Minamino. Correct. It, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so obviously I do see the merit in having signed a younger player with you know a project signing like an Ishmael Asar or a Doku who they'd be looking at peaking in three years time perhaps um, and and getting them the experience of working with the squad working under Klopp but uh, yeah I, I, I don't know how I feel to be honest mate. I'm, I'm somewhat deflated about it I think I guess the, the only saving grace is that we have Klopp, we have a strong first eleven still. I do think that yeah. winning the league is still a possibility. Um, yeah. And I kind of feel sorry for Canate a little bit because people obviously have, most people I've spoken to that are Liverpool fans have quite a negative perception of the transfer window. And that's yeah. almost transferred onto him a little bit, I think, because oh, agree. in reality, he's third or fourth choice centre-back now. But he could well be a world-class centre-back and we should be happy with that signing, I think. And that, yeah, that it's, a, it's a good be... signing. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and just also, going... I, think, I was going to say, just going back to what you were saying previously yeah. about FSG, I think um, there definitely should be credit where credit's due. They, they did a fantastic job to take us from where, they, where we were to, to where we are now. But I think the position that we're in now and the history of the club of being you know a top four club yes they got yeah. us back in there but it's so difficult yeah. to stay in the top four these days that it requires constant yeah. focus and constant investment and if they're not it capable does. of doing that for me they're not the, the right owner for us regardless of the european well, super league and shit like that you know it, we're talking about the basics of what what we want from a from an owner at the moment and if they haven't yeah. got the the, the balls to do that or all the money that that isn't what a club like Liverpool is, is well requiring I guess again devil's advocate I don't think they would care because this is an inception thought here and a weird one but um, if you think about their recruitment their recruitment drive has been on this Billy Bean money ball model hasn't it and buy an undervalued asset that you can pay for a low fee with an yeah. expected trajectory that's higher than the current value right that in itself describes Liverpool Football Club as a total 
the time they bought them because because they've increased the value of this football club tenfold, almost yeah. tenfold. Yeah, they've done um, a great job to there. the to to the point where the the value of the football club itself as an entity is arguably nearly as high as it could go. Do you think they actually care about further progression? Because they're 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 businessmen, aren't they? They're looking at this in terms of the value of their asset. Do you think they re- do, you, do you think they you know I think they probably don't care. And don't that is part do. of the problem because Liverpool yeah. are such a passionate club and I think the owner who will succeed is someone who can who can combine passion for the club, as in yeah. it's not just a shitty project for them where it's just money. They actually, you know, want the club to do well. And I'm, I'm sure F, certain members of FSG probably do love the club, but I feel like that is part of the problem. They they probably don't care, and it's because they're not passionate about Liverpool. You know, they bought it as a business yeah. decision, and that's what it all boils down to. You know, realistically. Yeah. Who cares if, well, for, for, for them, if we come sixth, does it actually bother them? Probably not. Yeah, it, that's the thing, because for them, the gambles are not necessarily on football terms, they're on financial terms. If they go out and gamble on a five-year contract package for Mbappe, even without the transfer fee, let's say they do, a, a, you know, they give, they give him £25 million a year over five years, that's a big chunk of their initial investment. On what, on what they bought the club for. That's like half of what they bought the club for. But that's yeah. a gamble on money. Probably looking at numbers. And it, they all of their recruitment drive for players has been data-driven. And of course, their investment angle is going to be numbers-driven. Of course it is. They're, they're, they're businessmen. Just coming to that point, obviously, the January window is not that far off. Do you think... And Mbappe can be signed on a pre-contract. I know you're probably going to have a go at me here for mentioning Mbappe again. But <laughs> if they, if someone said to you, Canate at the start of the window, nothing for the remainder, contracts tied up for the players who've been tied up, Salah not yet tied up, but we'll start Mbappe uh, pre-contract discussions in January with a view to him signing in the summer and the most Salah contract a question mark. Would you be happy with that? Um. Yeah, uh, if someone literally said to me that, then I would say yes. Do I think that yeah. is actually realistic? The answer for me is no. I, I don't think we can compete for the likes of Mbappe. And and it goes back to my point right at the very start. Like I, I don't think it, for me, I think that most most fans would see Mbappe as like the dream signing. But yeah. I believe yeah. that most understand that we probably won't get him because of the finances involved. And I don't think fans I, I, expect I do. us to. I don't think fans expect us to at all. And I, I'm in danger of sounding like one that does expect us to here by saying this. But it's easy to forget that when we signed Alison Becker, it was Real Madrid and Chelsea that were knocking around. And, you know, it sounded like he was going to go to Real Madrid. When we signed Virgil van Dijk, it was us and City who were knocking around. It's like they can't do it. They obviously, they clearly can do it. It's a question, I think, more of will they? And that's the bit where I think it's, it falls it's down. It's more the wages, though, though, isn't it? Like the wages each year. So if if we gave Mbappe, let's yeah, but, say, three hundred and fifty grand a week, suddenly yeah. you've got Salah who is paid more than a hundred grand less than that, knocking yeah. at your door saying, yeah. "Well, I want it." And then Virgil Van Dijk would do the same, and it's just. Do you think they like, do? Though? 
do you, do you think they do? Because Mo Salah's five years takes him towards being fairly old in football playing terms, whereas Mbappe's five years don't. I don't think Virgil van Dijk has a leg to stand on if he says, I want a five-year contract on that money because we turn around and say, Virgil, five years, you'll be 35. And yeah, appreciate you may well still be right, the game. Well, I'll leave then. I get that. But just to go back to the Alison Becker point and the scale of the fee that Mbappe would cost, if you sign Alison for around £80 million, give him 100 grand a week in a five-year contract, the total package is not dissimilar to the outlay of Mbappe on half a million a week for five years. The total yeah. outlay. Um, I'm not disputing we couldn't do it financially. Do it. Yeah. It's more yeah, just they can the do fact it. that I don't think we can compete. If, if City go and say, we'll give you 400 grand a week, I don't think we can do that. Or would do that, put it that way. That that's the sticking point for me. Is would do that. I don't think we would either. Yeah, and it's a shame because it's a real shame because this playing squad and manager, particularly manager, could well be one of the greatest Liverpool squads and greatest Liverpool, you know, greatest achievers of our lifetime. I mean, I mean that's basically already happened. Yeah. They got so close to a hundred points and back to back invincible seasons, Champions League, Premier League double. You know, they, they that that was really close to happening. Yeah, and I, I think it has. Already it's happened. fine margins for that. Yeah, I mean, but but you know, let's say obviously last season we came third and it was a struggle to get third. Let's say we finish fourth this season and it slowly just drifts away to sort of post Wenger era Arsenal. Do we then regard Klopp's Champions League and Premier League winning team as one of the best Liverpool teams of all time? I mean, it doesn't really matter, but in in some senses, but in another sense, it would be so frustrating looking back years down the line to think just how on the brink of being an absolute dominant force in world football we 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 could be. We're at a point where we could be from this point. Yeah, that's yeah. that's what I'm most sad about. I think because you've yeah. got a manager like Klopp who he deserves it. I think he deserves yeah, he the does. backing, um, and I think the fans deserve the backing as well because of all the shit that's happened in the last. Ten, just go back 10 years you know going back through the bad owners that we've had and then obviously with the European Super League and stuff like that so I, I think I, I just feel really sorry for Klopp because he's being asked to work miracles with a very small shoestring yeah he is but I think a note that we can leave it on is that in Jürgen Klopp we do have a manager that was recruited on the basis of being able to squeeze extra yards out of players. He does get the best out of his footballers. If there's anyone that can do it, I wouldn't. It, it's him, and I, I wouldn't change him for any other manager in the world. Um, so yeah, but FSG, and we will do so in future episodes. But thank you ever so much for listening, everyone, and enjoy the international break or not, <laughs> as the case may be. And we'll be back after. Cheers. Thanks for listening.